Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I started the show yesterday talking about a bunch of things that I'd never seen before in a baseball game. Because on Tuesday, a bunch of things happened that had never happened in a baseball game. So therefore, I'd never seen them, right? Last night had something Tuesday didn't even have. I mean, right when you think that there's nothing else that you could see that you haven't already seen, something happens again last night. Last night, there was a big-ass goose on the field. There's a bird out there in center field, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, duck. We thought we saw everything in the game, and now a new friend wants to join our party. Hello, friend. <laughs> and we're going to keep on playing. <laughs> Dodgers come back and win this. They're going to have a rally gonna be the, duck. The, the rally duck, rally foul. It might be a goose, actually. Like, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Driving to right field. That's down for a base hit. <laughs> and the time run will come to the plate. Fox. I mean, that was pretty wild. Here I was thinking that rain at Dodger Stadium was the craziest thing that could possibly happen. And then the goose happened. And they play right through. A goose appeared in right center field during the eighth inning out of nowhere. Or maybe it was a duck. More like, what the duck? Or duck, duck, goose. Like, I would know, right? I have experience. I should know. But even I don't know. Like, I've got no idea where the hell this foul came from. I don't know whether it was a goose or a gander, or where the rest of the gaggle was. No offense to the duck, but man, that was one ugly duck. That was one sickly-looking duck. And not exactly a lucky duck for the Dodgers, either. There was actually a moment last night where I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh! You know what this could lead to? Especially in this town, frankly. This could be the start of the Rally Goose, which would go right past Rally Monkey for most annoying thing ever at a ballpark. The only thing more annoying, and I hope she's not listening, but the only thing more annoying than the Rally Monkey at the yard is Dodger Jano rallying around the Rally Monkey and thinking how funny it is. You sound like a homer. Dodger Jano directing me to the scoreboard when the rally monkey shows up and laughing and saying, look, look. I'm like, yes, yes, sweetheart. I am aware of how the rally monkey works. It sucks. But make no mistake, when we used to have season seats to the Angels, she loved it every single time. It never not worked for Angel Jano, who is really Dodger Jano. So why did we have season tickets to the Angels? Don't ask me. She's Dodger Jano. Anyway, my biggest concern was the start of the rally goose. At least that's how the Padres bullpen made it seem. Like goose eggs, right? After the Dodgers grounds crew cleared the foul from the field in what could only be described as a, quote, wild goose chase. Finally, the baseball game resumes, and once again, the Padres' bullpen slams the door shut on the Dodgers. Four more scoreless innings from the San Diego pen after five and a third scoreless in game one. I mean, they have been unconscious. Lights out. 
I don't think I have ever seen a more fire bully in the postseason than what I've seen from the Padres in the last couple of games. And that pen is the biggest reason why that series is headed back down south all squared up, which means it is time for San Diego to, for lack of a better phrase, show me your lightning bolt. I know, I know. You call me Dodger Jim for the one millionth time. Yes, I am married to Dodger Jano, but personally me, I am team content Jim. No, I am not a homer. I am not Dodger Jim. I am team content Jim. I, I can't believe I have to say it again. I do not give a damn who wins this series. I just want it to be a great series. I guess I'm going to have to keep saying this until they rip this microphone out of my hands and drop me into the ground. I don't care who wins. I don't root ever for anything other than something to talk about, other than something awesome to see. The Dodgers are not my favorite team. My favorite team is, always has been, always will be, team content. The longer this series goes, the better it is for my favorite team, team content. San Diego winning their first division series game in 16 years is actually amazing for team content. The Padres finally getting over on their Padre is also amazing for team content. But then again, so is Big Bro shutting down Little Bro yet again, if that's what happens. So is L.A. daddying San Diego. And I say that as somebody who loves San Diego as much or more than I love L.A. Yeah, I said it. I was born in L.A. and I love San Diego as much or more than L.A., But then again, I am half chowed and half Frisco. It's all so confusing. Am I really still going over this after all these years? Hey, listen, by the way, I'm not the one who disrespected the Padres after game one. Big Poppy did. It was Poppy and his crew that yucked it up like they were at the comedy store. Remember that? Because I guarantee San Diego remembers that. The reality is that when you're playing against your daddy, you need to try to do something. <laughs> you have to say do something different, Kevin. You can just keep continue having the same thing. Your dad knows what you're going to do. You need to try something different. Yeah, ha, 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 ha. Not so funny now, is it, fellas? Man, they were, look, I like Poppy. Poppy's great. That was not that funny. Those dudes... It's like the worst kind of morning show where you got a bunch of people sitting around the mics just yucking it up about things that aren't funny at all. He makes one line about them being their daddy, and these guys just lose their bleep completely. The reality is that when you're playing against your daddy, you need to try to do something. <laughs> <laughs> you have to try to do something different. The reality is when you're playing against your daddy and then that did that to that crew? You don't know what you're going to do. You need to try something Come to find out, that series is no joke now, is it? In fact, San Diego could not ask for a better setup than right now. They've got the Dodgers backed into a best of three now, and they just ripped the home field advantage away from them. You know, kind of like that dude on the Dodgers grounds crew who snatched that goose right up off the field last night after the most yakety sack sequence of goose chasing you're ever going to see. 
I've got a lot more where that came from because I know geese. I've got a history now with geese. How about the other matchup? Braves, Phillies. Unfortunately, no geese. In fact, it basically had the opposite of the adrenaline-packed thrill ride of the foul invading the field. I had a three-hour rain delay instead. The king of all buzz kills. But at least the ATL put on a glove show once things finally got going with two of the best defensive plays of the entire season happening within two innings of each other. First, it was Dansby Swanson going all Willie Mays and Vic Wirtz with it in the sixth. Kyle Wright gets in on him. Bloop shot, shadow left center, falling. Who wants it? Swanson! Oh, baby! Dansby Swanson, what a catch! Wow. I'd say tricky Swanson. Six scoreless for Kyle Wright. Great catch. Crazy catch. I might even go as far as to say it was tricky. Definitely clutch. At that point, the game was still a scoreless tie. But by the time Austin Riley made the second ridiculous catch of the night, the Braves were already up three, and then Riley went all cheater in foul territory. Change up, flipped in foul ground. Riley sprinting. Riley. We saw the play of the game earlier. This is now the play of the game. That left side of the infield doing big things going away tonight, aren't they? You call that flashing leather. Call it clutch. Call it tricky. Call it whatever you want. But the defending champs are still alive and well. You knew it was not going to be easy, Philly fan. Because, well, it's never easy for you, Philly fan. And I'm not talking junk. I want to be you. I want to be one of you. We just know nothing ever is easy. Crazy couple of days around baseball. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you will ever own. You can grill, roast, smoke, Sear and even bake. No joke. Try a pizza on the egg. It is incredible. Stop wasting money on grills that you replace every few years. We've all been there and done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. A ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source. There's no need to plug it in. With the playoffs and holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift. And they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. You heard me. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com and have it sent to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com and you will thank me later. The goose though, man, I just cannot get over that goose. That fat, ugly, sickly goose. Now you, of course I'm triggered. Why am I taking it so personally? Because it triggered me. You know my history with geese. You know that triggered me watching that goose last night. Just posting up, setting up shop, acting like he owned the yard. 
Yeah, it was kind of funny and sort of weird, but it did trigger me. It was disturbing. You know why? Because it was so eerily and oddly familiar. You know, like those goose stalking me, haunting me, and talking junk to me in Wisco. Like, I'm going to find that goose in my pool when I get home today. Man, I best not. I best not. You know, the thing about them is, like, they're nasty and they're smart. And I've got a feeling that dude last night is thinking to himself, all right, ran onto the field, got everybody to look at me, you know, like that pink smoke bomb carrying idiot that Bobby Wagner concussed last week during the Rams game because that's what that was about, getting onto the field to get everybody to look at that idiot. Goose did the same thing, but the goose got over. The goose didn't get concussed. Bobby Wagner was not there to concuss that goose. So that goose is thinking, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, just got over. Think I'll call some of my boys, roll down to the OC, and jack with Rome in his main residence in Cali. Our cousins back in Wisco will think that's hilarious. Hey, listen, one more thing. Because we're not on TV today, I want you to know what I'm rocking, what I'm wearing, how I'm approaching it. If we were on TV, what you would see is me wearing a hat. And the hat says, team, in small font, and content in gigantic, large block lettering. Team content. I am all about pumping content like number six is all about pumping chicks. (laughs) (laughs) Set it for you clones. Listen, I love animals. Don't get me wrong. I am an animal guy. But I'm telling you, watching that goose last night did trigger me. It really does. Like, you see a sweet, you see a sweet animal. I see an animal that is diabolical in its thinking that drops things on my welcome mat. Things is code for crap. And I'm an animal guy. Sometimes I even think the animals are better than the people. Yeah, I said it. But as long as we're being real, I would be lying if I didn't own some of my real thoughts when I saw that goose last night. Thoughts like, where is Randy Johnson's fastball when you need it? Or, or, where is Maverick? Get Maverick out of retirement to handle this. Mav can smash that goose's head on a glass canopy and snap its spinal cord like he did his best friend. That's right. Then take the animal's dog tags, walk them to the pier, drop down, and throw them into the L.A. River. Yeah, I know. I know, clones. Because I know you better than you know you, and I know what you're thinking before you think it, I know what you're about to send me, and I haven't even seen it. I'd bet my life on this. My life. For life. Hey, Rome, if the Dodgers would have come back and won that game, the Padres would be deader than Angela Lansbury. 
Shout out to Murder, She Wrote. Outro. You're no. welcome. No, clones, you cannot do that. And you can't tag it with shout out to Murder, She Wrote to make it seem like it's okay to do that. It's not okay to do that. It's way too soon. It will always be too soon and never cool. So do not thumb that out. Do not hit send because I'm not having it and I'm not reading it. Stephen Vogt is my guest. Stephen, it's so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for having me again. It's good to have you again, Stephen. So let me ask you, like, we can talk about that final game. In fact, I can't wait to ask you about that final game. But given your journey and what you put into the game and what the game has given you, has it all sunk in yet? Like, has it hit you? Man, I really am retired, and that phase of my life is over. Uh, You know, it's hit me a little bit in some areas, but I don't think it'll fully hit me until it's spring training time next year. And, uh, you know, you're watching whether I'm there coaching or watching just on TV or whatever it is. But that time, you know, in February where everybody's reporting to Arizona and Florida, I think that's where it's really going to hit me. But um, as as far as some other things, yeah, it's hit me. And I I couldn't be more thrilled to to have played as long as I did, did what I did, and uh, to be done. I couldn't be more thrilled to be done as well. I'll tell you – I was going to say, Stephen, that last game was so, that was really something. I would imagine the entire day was really something. For instance, what was it like in the hours leading up to your last game? Did you feel pretty composed or was it tough to keep your emotions in check? You know, I, it was, it was tough. You know, I mean, you, you've done something your whole life, right? I mean, I turned 38 here in a couple of weeks and I've been playing baseball since I could walk. You know, I've been wanting to play baseball and been a baseball player for my whole life. And so now all of a sudden, you got your kids and you got your wife and you're, you're, you're a grown man. You're almost 38 years old and you still get to do it every day. And now all of a sudden you're not going to get to play the game you love anymore. And that, that can really mess with a lot of your emotions. It can really uh, get you. So I had, I had spent a lot of time in my emotions and leading up to that game. My main emotion was just, it was excitement. You know, I, I was going to get a chance to catch one more major league baseball game, which is my most favorite thing to do on this planet. And I got to do that one more time. And I had a ton of friends and family in town to do it. Stephen Vogt joining us. You know, you mentioned it can mess with your emotions, but clearly it can mess with your mind. It can mess with your sense of identity. You said it yourself. You know, you're 38. You've done this. You don't ever remember not doing this. Any sense of what it's going to be like going forward? Like some guys are so defined by it, understandably so, and they never really get beyond that. Have you thought about that? How do you approach that part of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's talking about those feelings when they come up. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, talking with my wife, Alyssa, and just saying, hey, you know there's going to be days where I'm not very much fun to be around. You know there's going to be days where I miss playing, where I miss that competition and getting a chance to play this game. And so just knowing that she'll be able to help me through those times and just understand that, hey, I might be a little bit cranky, I might be a little bit, you know, that. But um, one of the things that I can honestly say, Jim, that I'm really proud of is my identity was never wrapped up in being a baseball player. It was more of, hey, this is what I do for a living. And I was very careful when I chose that vocabulary. Like, I'm, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that's going to help my transition as well. No, I do know what you're saying. I think that is so critical. Stephen Vogt, my guest, you mentioned your kids. How awesome was it to have your kids announce your name before your first at bat in that last game? It was it was the one of the coolest moments of my life. Uh, you know, I'm thankful that I caught wind. You know, Alyssa, my wife, was trying to surprise me with them announcing, and somebody spilled the beans, and I'm really thankful because had I been surprised by that, I would have absolutely lost it. And it's already tough enough to face Shohei Otani. I can only imagine with tears in my eyes 
uh, if I would have been able to see it, maybe it would have even helped me. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things that she, I caught wind of. But as soon as you hear your kids' voices over the PA um, and they're saying our dad, you know, it, it choked me up pretty good. And uh, But I was able to fight off the tears uh, a little bit. But um, later on, I, I definitely let them flow. Uh, watching the replay. Such a great moment. You mentioned tough enough to face Shohei Otani. Steven, like, explain what it's like to face that guy and how mind-blowing. I mean, we've talked about this a million times, but how mind-blowing is it that that guy's up there as nasty and filthy and dirty as he is, and then he can pick up a bat and do what he does on the other side? I, I mean, obviously, he's one of the most talented players in our game, and for him to be able to do that with that skill set and at the level uh, we haven't seen anyone like that in the history of the game. And so it's, um, you know, facing him is he's got four different spin pitches. They all have the same spin and they're all different speeds. And you can't tell which it is until it's too late. And, um, you know, and oh, on top of that, he can throw 100. So you got to be ready to cover a 100-mile-hour fastball, too, oh, in a split. So he's got five to six weapons that he can get you with at any time. And you got to be ready for all of them. And that's why he has the numbers that he does. And he makes so few mistakes as well. But his stuff is so good that he gets you off of the mistakes. And so um, he really is. I'm so happy that I got to face him in my last game because, one, now I can say I faced Shohei Otani. And, two, it just reminded me why I'm retiring because I have to face guys like that. And uh, that's, that's not as much fun as it used to be. <laughs> I love that response. That is great, and especially coming from a catcher. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help you remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that can sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. So, Stephen, you mentioned that you got to do one of your favorite things ever one more time. You got to catch. You know, in addition to that, you pick up that bat yourself. I'm curious, what were you thinking stepping to the plate doing one of your favorite things ever one last time? Like, you know this is your last major league at bat. How did you approach, having done it your whole life and you knew it was the last time, how do you approach your last at bat ever? What was your mindset? So my mindset was um, go out there and have fun. You know, I think every one of us and every one of us that plays this game, whether it's for a living, whether it's in our front yard, whether it's, you know, softball guy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, my man, there what, you go. Whatever, whatever it might be, uh, whatever, you, whatever you choose to do, there's that little kid in us that still feels like we're in our front yard pretending to hit a walk-off home run in the World Series. I don't care who you are. You still have those moments. And for me, it was, hey, Steven, go up there. You know this is your last at bat. You know, Kate had told me right before I went up there, like, hey, go get a hit, kid. This is it. And uh, went up there and you said, you know what, this is it. Go have fun. Be ready to swing. You never know. Um, and you're, you're not going to go down looking your last one. You're going to go up there hacking. And fortunately, uh, I got a mistake fastball over the middle and blacked out for a split second and happened to, to hit it over the fence and just uh, went nuts like I was that two-year-old kid in the front yard and just did not care about my emotions and just let myself 
have all those feels and, and just go crazy around the bases. I mean, dude, it was electric. I mean, that was the ultimate goosebump moment. Such an awesome, awesome moment to leave the yard in your final major league bat ever. That's the stuff you dream of, but the stuff that rarely ever happens. You talked about how emotional you got and the energy you felt. Is there any way to describe what that was like? What was that trip around the bases like? And what what was going through you in that moment? Because from where we were, all were, it was an amazing thing just to watch. Yeah, it, it was. That was it for me. It was the the one phrase that just kept coming out. I was screaming. It was, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? You got you you did you did it. Like that that put the exclamation point. And what it did for me too was it confirmed my decision. It was one of those like moments where you know you have that you you know you already know you made the right decision by knowing this is it and it's time to go. It's time to go do something else. It's time to to hang them up and then you do that and you're last at that. And it's just like, that was a sign from above. Like, Hey man, we're done here. We're done here. This is your sign. You went out, you did everything you possibly could have. You got every ounce out of your ability. You worked, you overcame. You're the, the ultimate underdog story that never gave up and never quit and never took no for an answer. And in that moment around those bases, that was the feeling. It was just, are you kidding me with this finish? Are you kidding me that that just happened? And my brother was right above the dugout. My older brother, Danny, just screaming and pointing at me, just like, yeah, baby. And it, it was just – and then to watch the replays, to see my teammates' reaction, that was everything for me, Jim. Like, you know, I've always tried to be the ultimate teammate and make those around me better. And, and the way that my teammates reacted to that home run told me everything I needed to know. Steven, you watched that back, the video of your guys reacting. I mean, there's so much love and respect and admiration. Like, they, they were as happy for you or happier for you than you could have been for yourself. You're right. I could, I could feel that. I could see that. It's almost like the universe, you know, paid it back because you did all the right things. You did it the right way. You know, none of us are perfect. But to your point, I mean, the journey, you and I have talked about this. But yeah, it's a testament to your resolve and determination that you spent the better part of seven years in the minors before you got that full-time shot in the majors at age 29 and you talked about just never giving in never backing down there had to have been times though Stephen, that your faith was tested did you ever ever once think maybe it's not meant to be and what got you through those challenging times uh yeah i mean i had i probably had three or four moments like that in my career where you know i was struggling in the lower level minor leagues and as a kid from a small small school he's like hey man you did it man you made it to the you made it to the you know the minor leagues and you gave it your best shot and just wasn't in the cards you just didn't have the talent and that's okay you know and you have those thoughts because you you're not as good as everybody else around you but you know what I did is I had a great support system my wife Alyssa was the one that said hey why can't why can't you try why can't you keep working you never know you never know if you keep working and you outwork everybody and you outplay everybody you'll get your shot you know, and I had my wife, Alyssa, my dad, Randy, my brother, Danny, my, my college coach, you name it, everyone speaking into me, just encouraging me, saying, hey, you've always done everything you put your mind to. And, yeah, there's some luck along the way. you got to get lucky. You have to when you're somebody who's not a can't-miss prospect. you got to have some prospects struggle so you can pass them up. And, I'm, you know, I don't wish ill on anybody, but you take advantage when you, get a, when you get an opening. And, you know, for me it was – through those moments of doubt, it was relying on the people that knew me and, and loved me, and they kept pushing me. They didn't say, oh, it's okay, you'll be all right. No, they said, hey, this isn't your style. Get back in the weight room, get back in the cage, get back in the, in the training room, and get better and get ready to go. And, you know, one of the things that I've always said, kind of one of my mantras for me is, hey, there's somebody younger, better looking, and more talented than you trying to take your job. How are you going to keep them from taking your job? And that's you got to adapt and you got to change and you got to find new ways of being successful every single year. And 
I was fortunate enough to do that uh, long enough to, to have a, uh, a career I'm very, very proud of in, in professional baseball. My dude, that's a master class right there. That is a master class in what you just said. And Stephen, I've got such a greater appreciation since I've had kids, and especially kids that play baseball. Like, I've done this for decades and decades and decades, and I grew up as a baseball fan, but I've got a son now. We have a son who's a senior in high school who's now in it, and he's trying to play small school ball. So for you to go through Azusa Pacific and to get the most out of your ability, like, I really understand that journey even more than I ever have right now because especially here in Southern California you know that journey right that whole travel ball thing and then the showcases then you go what advice do you have for kids that are playing right now that are trying to make it where it just seems too big and the dream doesn't seem real the the thing that I would always say is just keep keep working know what you're great at and continue to enhance that and be willing to look in the mirror and understand what you struggle with and take the steps necessary to create that side of your game and bring it up. But I can't stress enough, know what you're great at and make it better. Never be satisfied, right? Like my was, I was a hit first guy. Everybody knocked my defense. So what did I have to do? I had to work my backside off on my defense. I had to make sure that I did that. And then when I did make an error, I had to make up for it with my bat. There's things like that, but it's always know that you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I got better today. And be willing to look in the mirror and admit where you struggle, admit where you need to get better, because being a good self-evaluator will always push you to be better. The people who make excuses and the people who give up, they're not good self-evaluators. They don't want to look in the mirror and say, hey, you didn't do this very well today. You want to point the finger and say, well, you didn't do this very well today because of this or because of that. No, look in the mirror, take ownership and go make it better the next day. And for me, that's what I'm trying to instill in my kids as well is work ethic and being willing to look in the mirror and say, hey, it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Nobody learns from success. We learn from failure. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of highlight, spelled J-A-I-A-L-A-I, originating in the Basque region of Spain. And played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s. Highlight is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighlightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store. The sport, with its intensity and athleticism, is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis, with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com. Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. Do you know how hard I would have to think? I don't think that there are two teams in that league that I would be less interested in watching right now than those two games. So what do we do? Let's have them play each other and make it the primetime game. Make it the only game. Believe me, the list of things that I would rather be doing with my time tonight than watching that game is pretty much, well, everything, anything, All things, anything but the thing. 
And the main reason for that was summed up pretty nicely, I thought, by Ron Rivera earlier in the week when he was asked why his team is not faring well, but everybody else in the NFC East is. Quarterback. Incredible. Quarterback. Quarterback. Actually, quarterbacks. Quarterback. Quarterbacks. Quarterback. Quarterbacks. Quarterback. Plural. But Rivera's quarterback especially. I mean, he hasn't been completely awful, but there are also plenty of reasons why Ron ran Carson Wentz right under his riverboat earlier this week. I mean, the most entertainment that we can hope to get out of Carson Wentz tonight is for Wentz to pull another Wentz. You know, toss one up left-handed to a D lineman or fumble the ball backwards into his own end zone, or do what he did last week, throw a pick on the goal line on the last play of the game. You want to entertain me? Give me more of that. And by the way, I hate to say this, and I never thought that I would, but Justin Fields is only slightly more interesting and only slightly better. Only slightly. And I'm not even saying it's all his fault because it's not. But let me tell you about this guy. I mean, this guy should be one of the most electric young players in the game, and he's anything but. Let me give you some numbers. Take this for data. Fields right now, this is an incredible stat. He has the same number of completions on the season as Cooper Cup does receptions. Listen, I understand that Matthew Gofford targets Cup like 50 times a game. And doesn't look anywhere other than Cooper Cup, except Higby once in a while, and never Allen Robinson. But Cooper Cup should not have as many receptions, as great as he is, as Justin Fields does completions. So it's kind of hard for me to get fired up to watch him go to work. Because they don't actually let that guy work. They don't give him anything to work with. What is the point of drafting an amazing and electric athlete if you do not trust him to do anything at all? Wait for it. Here comes another horse racing analogy. It would be like having this amazing thoroughbred and only letting him jog around the track in the morning, but never actually entering him in the race, putting him in the gate, and letting him run for actual purses during actual races. Horse racing people know what I mean by that. That's what's going on with Justin Fields. What good is it having this thoroughbred if you won't let this guy run? Or let this guy do anything at all? That's Fields. I know this guy is capable of doing way more than he is right now. And I don't even blame him. I blame the organization. And it makes tonight even more unbearable. Because I know this guy could be so much better and do so much more. But they won't let him. They won't help him. Believe me, I've got so many better things to do with my time than watch this game tonight. Hard to get all fired up about it. Hard to get fired up, but especially when the game itself was upstaged by that nuke that ESPN dropped on Dan Snyder's head this morning. Whatever happens tonight is going to pale in comparison. Whatever happens on the field tonight, it will not be as good as what happened with that report. You know that running joke? The running joke for years that Dan Snyder must have something on Roger Goodell and the rest of the owners. I mean, kind of funny, right? I mean, dude must have something. He must have pictures. He must have dirt. Well, apparently it's not a joke. 
Apparently, it's true, allegedly. According to some of ESPN's finest, some good reporters too, Don Van Nata, my dude Seth Wickersham, Tisha Thompson, the joke, you know, that long-running joke about Snyder may actually be a thing. Like, there's an explanation here that Snyder does have leverage on the league, allegedly. That he's got dirt on everybody, allegedly. Check out this passage from that report, and I quote, Snyder recently told a close associate that he has gathered enough secrets to, quote, blow up, end of quote, several NFL owners, the league office, and even Commissioner Roger Goodell. Quote, they can't F with me, end quote. He has said privately. Private. I mean, damn. Like, is that not the most believable, obvious thing ever? But I still can't believe it. Like, it was really just that obvious the whole time. We would all make that joke like, damn, this dude must have something on these guys. He must. Well, apparently he does, allegedly. And not only, we were all right. It was, that, it was a throwaway line. It was a joke that we kind of only half believed. But apparently he does, reportedly. And not just has the dirt, but secretly and actively pursued the dirt, reportedly. Like, he just uses private eyes to dig up dirty secrets. Like, I don't know what this guy has or what he doesn't have, but whatever he's doing clearly is working. Let me repeat that. I don't know what he has or what he doesn't have, but what he's doing is clearly working. I mean, of course, in the blackmail game. Nothing he does works in the game of football. Now, if all this sounds mafioso and sketchy, it's because it's mafioso and sketchy. Here's another amazing passage from that report. Quote, the NFL is a mafia. He recently told an associate, all the owners hate each other. It goes on, quote, that's not true. One veteran owner says, all the owners hate Dan. End of quote. You tell me. You tell me what's better. That garbage will be subjected to on the field tonight or this. Like, I don't throw around the word nuke lightly, but these are scuds leaving behind a mushroom cloud. And if you thought that was bad, there's even more where that came from. Check this out. Quote, Current and former team executives say Snyder is still far more involved running the club than most realize, imploring football decision makers last March to trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, despite a deal that he made with Goodell in July of 2021, when he was also fined $10 million to give up day-to-day management to his wife, Tanya. End of quote. No way he's still running the team. Mind blown. Oh, and by the way, Wentz is his fault too. He somehow managed to make another terrible quarterback decision even during a time when he was technically supposed to be barred from making any day-to-day decisions. Allegedly. So that Ron Rivera quote quarterback crack, that one-word answer earlier this week, seemed kind of weird and out of place, right? An over-the-top shot at Wentz? Now I think I get it. I think we have to decode that. When he said quarterback, what he meant was owner. 
quarterback. Like, like play this out. The reporter says, hey, Ron, you know, you look around the NFC East and Philly's great and Dallas is great. And well, everybody there is great except for you guys. Why is that? Quarterback. Owner. Quarterback. Snyder. Quarterback. I don't, I don't think he was talking about the quarterback. I think he was talking about the owner and Snyder. Like Ron Rivera probably is. You know what he really wanted to say? I bet. Do you really think I wanted Wentz? Do you really think that I wanted somebody else's garbage? Garbage! I've played this game and won as a player at the highest level. I have coached this sport and coached at the highest level. Why the hell would I want anything to do with Carson Wentz? Are you asking me why everyone in the NFC East is thriving except us? I'll answer that. Owner. Snyder. Quarterback. Now that's the premium subscription-based content right there. That is so much better than any of the bullcrap that we are sure to be subjected to tonight when we throw that game on. You know that whole thing about how there's no such thing as bad pizza? There's no such thing as bad sex? There's no such thing as bad football? All bleeping lies. There sure as hell is bad pizza. There sure as hell is bad sex. And believe me, if you want to watch some bad football, watch tonight's game. You know what? If you were really tactical, if you had nothing better to do and you were really tactical, I bet you could hit the trifecta tonight. You could experience bad pizza, bad sex, and bad football. I mean, you'd have to look a little bit for the first two, but I can all but guarantee the third one. I'll spot you the third one. All you have to do is find the bad pizza and the bad sex. That's up to you. You find that. I can guarantee bad football tonight. But you know, by the way, you can find bad pizza. There's a lot of bad pizza. You can find bad sex. It's a lot of bad sex. Not, not with me. Just kidding. I'll stop right there. <laughs> anyway, that that's the report. That's the ESPN report. There's more to it. It's wild. But just this whole notion of how the hell does Snyder still have his team? How is he still around? He must have dirt on other people. Well, apparently he does, reportedly. When we come back, Indiana Patriots head coach Rick Carlisle. Hey, believe me, I would rather read and reread that report over and over and over again than watch one quarter of tonight's game. But I will because they pay me. So I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said it, 48 hours. It's incredible. And on top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and it's clean on your skin and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you are on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. You know, you got to have that. You have to moisturize. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable and it helps to protect your skin as well. Truly take advantage of that. You've got to moisturize. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Like, I want to say, Kathleen, how are you? But I know you won't answer me because you never do. So I'm just going to say, we go now to Omaha. Hey, Kathleen. Who is Johannes? 
Johannes Eckerstrom is the frontman of the Swedish metal band Avatar, and his voice is like pure honey. You don't believe? Okay, I have some of his music on pause right now, and I can play it. I won't play the whole song because it's six minutes long, but I can show you what I'm talking about. Here. What's up, brother? Abra Rome Lincoln. What is up, my guy? What's up, dude? Yo, I just want to give a quick instant sports take. First thing, the fee loves SD. And I know what you Dodger idiots are saying right now. Wait a minute, V, not a fee. That's not San Diego. Well, idiots, I lived in San Diego for seven years after I graduated college. Oh, wait, uh, Dodger fans. Uh, college is like this really big school that has really big books uh, with a lot of words and no pictures. You go there after high school. Oh, wait, wait. You have to finish high school. Wait, my fault. Okay, anyway, you know what's funny, Jarome? Other than the Dodger fans' credit score, I'm seeing all over social media this week. Game three, Friday night, Dodger fans and SD takeover. Okay, idiots, Dodger fans. It's called America's Finest City, not America's Felony City. So don't hop in your soon-to-be repoed car and bring your smog-breathing ass down to SD. Yo, end of Cold War. War the Padres in four and war that old bag of bones, Rick, rehearsing his boring take tonight on his plastic-covered couch. V and the V. Out! Okay. So you know what that sounded like, V? It, it sounded like every horrible Raider fan joke, and you just rolled it into a Dodger fan take. And none of it was working, but I was kind of laughing, not with you, but at you, but pulling for you because I like you. And the only thing that salvaged that terrible call was that crack about that old bag of bones rehearsing his take on his plastic-covered couch. We are joined right now by Rick Carlisle. Rick, it is so good to have you back on. How are you? Jim, I'm good. My, my voice is a little crackly, but it's great to be back in the jungle. Same, man. It's great to have you back in the jungle, and my voice is too, so it's all right. I get it. Listen, it's hard to imagine, Rick. We're only a few days away from the start of the regular season. It feels like it just snuck up on all of us. I know it didn't sneak up on you, but how does it feel to you? How do you feel about this group, a group that really is pretty different than the one you had last season? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a team now that, that really <clears throat> has a future. You know, the team last year was a was a mix of veterans, and there were a couple of young guys, but it was a team that needed to be changed over. And so our our management team of uh, Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan did a great job. You know, we got younger. Um, we turned a lot of uh, the veteran players into draft picks, and we've got a lot of assets moving forward in the future. So. You know, we got guys like Isaiah Jackson, Ben Matherin, you know, Chris Duarte. We drafted uh, Nemhard out of Gonzaga, who's been terrific. And, uh, you know, we've traded for some other young guys like Aaron Neesmith, who really is now going to get, you know, his first real opportunity to play. And, 
to go along with guys like Tyrese Halliburton, who we got in the trade last year, who's, you know, I think one of the top point guards in the league and only 22 years old and uh, really good vets like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and, and McConnell. So um, we've had a great training camp. You know, the, the young guys, it's, it's invigorating, you know, um, coming and having the coaching and teaching opportunity with guys that have so much upside. Rick Carlisle is joining us. You know, Rick, you mentioned a number of guys. I was going to ask you about half those guys. Let me ask you this. Like, you've got a lot of young talent. I can tell you're energized by that. I I want to be really careful about ever, ever comparing anybody to this guy. But I know you remember the first day Luca walked into the gym in Dallas. That's something you don't forget. Are you feeling anything like that or similar to that when you walk in your building right now and you see all this young talent, young talent that's about the right stuff and wants to be there? Yeah, you know it. It's uh, there's a similar sensation to it. Um, you know, Luca was a, a guy that, you know, as a single person, single entity, as a player, you know, walked in and the first day he played pickup with our guys because we had held him out of summer league because he had played Eurobasket stuff so late. First day he walked in, it was like Magic Johnson <laughs> watching him play. I mean, and, you know, he was passing it like crazy. He was rebounding like crazy. He scored a little bit. Um, and as time went on, you know, he just he just found out how easily he could score in this league. And so he became a guy that really do everything. And, you know, if he's not the best player in the world right now, he's certainly right on the cusp of it. Um, but guys like, you know, Matherin and – uh, talked a little bit about Nemhard and, and Jackson and Duarte and, and Neesmith. This is a group of young players that, you know, has some real dynamic upside. You know, Matherin's averaged over 20 points in three preseason games so far. And, you know, you probably saw him some at, at Arizona. And he's just, you know, he's really developed a lot, you know, since the beginning of the summer league back in July. So, you know, he's got a long way to go, but he's showing signs of being a guy that can be a really high-impact player in this league. You beat me to it. Rick Carlisle joining us. I was going to ask you about Ben Matherin, and you're right. I did see him when he was with Arizona. He, in fact, was the Pac-12 Player of the Year. He played really well for Arizona in the NCAA tournament. He's long. He's active. He's only 20. You touched on it, Rick, but what do you like about him and his game? Uh, I like his. I like his personality. I like his demeanor. He's all business. You know, there have been multiple times he's come to me, you know, since uh, since Summer League. <clears throat> and he said, Coach, I just want to tell you, I want, to, I want you to coach. You can say anything to me. I want you to coach me hard. I want to be I want to be great. I want to be as good as I can be. You know? And the third time he told me, I said, listen, dude, you, you do not need to remind me. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, we're going to do it. And there was, a, there was a huddle last night in the game against New York. And he had gone in the game and made two or three really good offensive things happen. And then, you know, he had a little slippage on defense and coming out of the huddle, I grabbed him and I said, Ben, listen, you know, you're going to be great at both ends of the floor, not just one end of the floor. And I said, that's why, that's why, you know, we're pointing out the things that that you need to do better. And then he picked it right up and, and was his defense down the stretch of the game last night. He was guarding Emmanuel quickly, who runs around and shoots it as about as well as, any young player I've seen. And uh, so, you know, we're on him to be a great two-way player, not just a great scorer. 
What's better than your 20-year-old first-round draft pick coming up to you over and over again and saying, Coach, coach me hard. I want to be coached hard. You mentioned Tyrese Halberton. You got him last year. I know you don't want to ask too much too soon of a 22-year-old, but what are you asking of him specifically, and how good can he be if he continues to progress and do the right things? <laughs> well, it's... <clears throat> We're not asking him to do too much, just be the face of the franchise That's and be all. the team for the next 10 years. You know? <laughs> right. and, and look, he, he wants that, Jim, you know, and he wants the responsibility. And, um, you know, we traded for him. He knew he needed to get stronger. So he took about 10 days to two weeks after the season. And then he was back here in Indianapolis working out with Sean Wendell, the guy who's in charge of our strength and conditioning program, and put on – 15 to 18 pounds of muscle over the summer. So that should help his defense. It should help his strength, his durability. Um, and look, he, he knows the opportunity that he has here. Um, he's spoken a little bit with Reggie Miller, you know, who, you know, coincidentally or not, um, they have kind of similar personality types. They have similar body types. Um, and, you know they're both they're both guys that that realize that you know in a in a small market like Indiana to be the guy you know you've got to really you know walk the talk and you've got to really do it and so Tyrese has put the work in he has the respect of the locker room um, he's a rare he's a rare pass first point guard that you know that scores and makes things happen defensively so. We feel we're we're very fortunate, you know, set up for a long time with him. And, uh, you know, it's exciting watching him because he plays the way Indiana fans want to watch basketball. See, Rick, you're kind of warrioring through this whole thing. You're playing hurt. You're grinding it out. I appreciate it so much. I want to cut you loose, but I'm so enjoying the conversation. Maybe one more question before I do so. What's it like to have Miles Turner back after being without him in the second half of last season when he went down with that foot injury, and how does he look? Well, he's doing great, and the simple answer is, you know, we held New York to 99 points last night, and after he went out of our lineup last year, our defense plummeted and and was very difficult. And and I and I should mention that, you know, he and McConnell both missed um, you know, over forty games and they're two of our best defenders. So having those two guys back will certainly help our defense. Um Miles is in his eighth year. He's uh he's he's been a pacer loyalist and I think he really covets the opportunity to be one of the leaders on this team. So you know, I think he's going to have a terrific year. All right, so a final thought. Like, you won a championship as a player. You've won a championship as a coach. You've been in this thing a long, long time. This is a different approach, though, especially for the Pacers. Like, I don't want to say a rebuild, but I can see you building something that you want to be – you want to be sustainable and you want to be long-lasting and you want to be a real factor. It's not going to happen overnight, but you sound really energized by it. It's not something you had to take on. Why did you want to take that on? When I came here, it, it you know, it, it looked like a veteran team that was, you know, had a chance to be a playoff team and, you know, be pretty good. And then, you know, we had 400 man games missed to injury last year. And, and the thing morphed into the reality that, you know, this thing had to be redone. Uh, if you, you know, whether or not you want to use the word rebuild, which is, you know, a very extreme word, 
Um, the t- team needed to get younger and it needed to have a future. And, and, and now it does. And not only that, you know, I felt the need that we needed to establish the dream of being a championship, uh, an NBA championship team. You know, this team won three ABA championships. This team's been to the conference finals eight times. Um, you know, I've been with them three or four of those times, and they, we've been to the finals one time, and I was an assistant coach for Larry Bird when we went to the finals and <clears throat> got beat by the Lakers. And so it can be done. But we've got to we've got to cultivate that dream and that belief system, and we've got to build it up. And we're in the foundation phase of it, and it's going to take a while. But but that's okay. I mean, this is Indiana. This is family to me. This is the third time I've been here. You know, this this franchise has had such a major impact on my career. I could, I could never return um, what what they've done for me. And so every day, my job is here to come in here and. Uh, get our guys doing the little things um, to create, you know, a group of, of guys with championship habits, and we're going to move forward that way. Damn, one last question, Rick. You're in your 21st year as the NBA head coach, so you're one of the best. You mentioned Larry Bird. You know, when you think of Larry Bird, there's so many different things you think of. i got to know, though, what was he like as a head coach and to work alongside as a head coach? Well, you know, if you look at what he's done and accomplished, no other person in the NBA has been a league MVP, a finals MVP, you know, uh, 10 or 13, 12, 13-time All-Star, uh, coach of the year, <clears throat> and executive of the year. I mean, he's the most probably decorated person in the history of the league in terms of, you know, awards and stuff like that. And he's done it at all different kinds of levels and genres of the league. Um, he is, you know, where he go, where he has gone, great things have happened. You know, when he came here as a coach, <laughs> I remember the phone call when he called me and he said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking about taking the Pacers job. <laughs> he goes, I, w- I want you to come work with me. I said, Larry, the only thing more crazy about you being a head coach in this league is you thinking that I'm going to come with you. <laughs> And then, and then eventually he talked me into it, and you know we went to the conference finals and took the Bulls to seven games. Um, <clears throat> he just has a certain kind of presence. <clears throat> it's kind of magical, Jim. It's really kind of hard to explain, but he know he always do, knew what he didn't know when it came to things that didn't involve actually playing the game. Um, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, I actually went down to see him down at his ranch in Brown County last week, um, you know, for a few hours to visit. He's doing great, and uh, I'm trying to get him to come up and watch a preseason game before he heads down to Naples. And uh, but he's doing great, and I appreciate you asking. And I know, I know, Pacer Nation does too. That is such a great response. I'm so glad that I did ask you about that. And I agree with you, Rick. Like when that first happened. My thought was that that is absurd. Larry Bird is not coaching in the NBA, and then he was a great coach. That last, last, I promise you the last thing, but you mentioned that series, that 98 series against Michael's Bulls. You were an assistant, as you mentioned. Could have won that. Maybe I don't want to say should have won that. But how do you process that kind of thing, Rick? When you've had as much success as you've had, do you think about the wins more or the tough beats like that one? Like, How did you process that? Do you still think about that series? Yeah, you know, 
that was pretty heavily featured in the last dance, which yep. everybody watched because that was right in the middle of COVID and everything. So, um, yeah, I look back on it and, you know, I learned a lot of things, you know, um, the experience in that, in that conference finals helped us, you know, the following two years here in Indiana, when Larry was coaching, we, we lost that year. We lost the following year in 99. And then in 2000, you know, we broke through and got to the NBA finals and that was huge, you know, and it came down to a game four against the Lakers. And I don't think Kobe played that game. Um, but we ended up ended up in overtime, and had we won, we would have been two two with game five at home and a chance, you know, to win two of the next three or whatever it was. We ended up losing an overtime, going down three one, and then we won game five, but we were down three two, and then they they beat us in six. So, you know, that experience did help. It did help that group of players. It did help us get to the NBA finals. And now, and now we've got to chart the path back there and it's uh it's not going to happen overnight we're not going to skip any steps uh we're going to get these young guys doing the right things and and you know the the goal is for them to become a brotherhood as a as a group in the locker room and uh you know, ready to take on the fight every night, Jim. You know I, how it is. I know how it is. I love that. I love that so much. You and I, Rick, have, well, we have such a good relationship, and I've always appreciated our friendship. And I love that you are back there and that you're the guy spearheading that. I have great, great memories of those times, too. Donnie Walsh used to come on the program. We do a lot of the guys. I just The NBA is so much better when the Pacers are that compelling, and they are. You guys are, and I know you're building something great. Great to have you on the show, Rick. I should have had greater respect for your voice, but it's such a great conversation. I couldn't let you go. So thank you for grinding that out, playing through, and it's always good to have you on the show. Likewise. Great talking to you, Jim. Be well. You too. Rick Carlisle. Man, that, that is some greedy stuff on my part. I should have let him go, but it was so interesting. All of that stuff is so interesting. And I love that old school Pacer stuff that we used to do back in the day. And they were good, man. They were good. Like, championship good. How could that series not stay with anybody who was involved with the Pacers? I mean, they had them. But good times. And he, by the way, you know, voice aside, because he's already in it, his energy, his enthusiasm. Good night, no!